0: The Seahawks find themselves in uncharted waters, having lost four games in a row for the first time in the Pete Carroll era. Even so, Seattle remains tied with four other teams for the final NFC playoff spot, heading into a Monday night showdown against the Philadelphia Eagles. Joining us to break it all down is former Seahawks beat reporter, current co-host of the Ringer NFL show, and Philly native Shiel Kapadia. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my ostentatious producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing well, Jackson. Surprisingly well after watching yet another (laughs) fun-filled Seahawks Sunday. (laughs) It, It looked for a second like they might hang in there. It it did. I was in uh, I was in the Bay Area this weekend and surrounded by uh, I was at a restaurant during the game, surrounded by Debo Samuel jerseys and Brock Purdy apologists, and uh, <laughs> they let me have it. That's all I'll say. I'm I'm sure. But it, at first, at first, it was kind of like,
1: oh, okay, all right, Drew, like stepping up to the plate a little bit here, and then yeah, it quickly reverted into. Drew Lock football.
0: Yeah, it did. It did. And you know, you did bring it upon yourself by showing up in nothing but your twelfth man Speedo. So Yeah. I mean, you made yourself a target to be fair. You know, I had no choice but to be double cheeked up on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> 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 oh, that's a great pull. <laughs> I love it. Well look, man, what can we say? We knew this was in the range of outcomes, and yep. while the Seahawks have so far failed this midseason test, it's been encouraging to see them be competitive in the last two, at least for a good portion of those games. We'll get into all of that and more with our guest. but first, if you're listening or watching us right now, it's hopefully because you like the show. And if you like the show, there are a few ways you can support it. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, take a couple of seconds to leave us a five-star rating, and if you're feeling super supportive, a quick review as well. You can do that right now. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where you'll find full video episodes, entertaining clips, and the audio reads of every Cigar Thoughts article after each game this season. This is probably the best way to help the show grow and growth is going to enable us to bring more of our football discourse your way. So we're grateful for the few seconds it takes to like and subscribe. We're also thrilled to announce an awesome new partnership with Westland Distillery in Seattle, which is my favorite local whiskey maker. If you're watching on YouTube, You'll see me enjoying a glass of their Outpost Range Solom, which has a delightful bite to it that really makes the flavor of these cigars pop. Westland is an American single malt whiskey distillery in the Soto neighborhood of Seattle. Their tasting room and bar is open to the public, serving whiskey flights, cocktails, and small bites. There's a bottle shop on site featuring distillery exclusive releases and more. They're located at 2931 First Avenue, a little over a mile south of Lumen Field. Needless to say, I'm stoked to be working with them, and one of the reasons I love their whiskeys so much is that they make excellent pairings with a good cigar. And speaking of, we do have our own special release of cigars that you can purchase at a terrific price as a listener of the show. Until now, you've been able to order your own bundle of 10 for just $169, which is less than half of what this blend sells for in cigars on the open market. But because it's the holiday season, we are making them available to you for just $149. That's right, just 149 bucks. And as many of you know, we partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to release these official Cigar Thoughts cigars, which you can order directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link on the show page to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-aged premium Dominican tobacco leaf, or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll send you the details directly. And the cigars? They come with a Boveda humidification pack, and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. Now, to the other business at hand. The Seahawks are incredibly far from out of the playoff picture, even though it doesn't feel like it. That's because even with the Seahawks losing to the 49ers for the second time in three weeks, there just aren't very many good teams in the NFC. That said, Seattle will need to finish the season strong in order to have any shot at postseason play, And that means finding a way to beat the 10-3 Philadelphia Eagles. It's precisely because of that that I'm thrilled to introduce the man sitting down with us today. Some of you will recognize him from his excellent tenure as a member of the Seahawks Beat, and others of you know him as an NFL writer and co-host of the popular Ringer NFL show with another friend of the pod, Ben Solak. Most importantly, like us, he's just seen his hometown team get whacked by the Cowboys and 49ers in consecutive weeks. He is Sheil Kapadia. Sheil, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good. I feel like we, you know, do this annually where the, the Seahawks are always in. We, we never know what kind of state they're going to be in. I think we probably <laughs> did it. Uh, That's fair. We did it last year. And I was like, man, I was completely wrong about this team. They're much better than I thought. And then I thought they, you know, I picked him to win the NFC West this year. I was feeling good about it. Uh, And here we are with the first four game losing streak in the Pete Carroll era. But hey, like you said, there's still time left. So uh, who who knows how the final four weeks will go.
0: It's wild. I'll I'll be completely honest. I didn't even think. Usually at the end of my article after the game, you know, I try to zoom out, take a look at, okay, forget this game. Where are they at overall? And I didn't even do that because I was like, ah, four straight loss. It's over. And then when I was prepping for the show, I was looking up the NFC playoff picture and the Seahawks are tied still technically for the last spot in the, in the NFC. I mean, you know, they've got the tiebreakers over a couple of those teams. They lose tiebreakers to a couple others, but like it's very much still in their hands, which is wild.
1: Yeah. It's I mean, And look at like the teams you're competing with. I mean, Nick Mullins. Uh, is in there. We can't <laughs> yeah. let any of those NFC South teams, like, if they cannot get a second team in the, oh my in the playoffs gosh. or else. What an indictment.
0: Up. What yeah, an indictment can, against the conference. Seriously. So yeah,
1: in terms of the fun rankings, uh the Seahawks getting in would certainly be better than all the alternatives. I, I think most people would agree.
0: You heard it here. The 2023 Seahawks. Better than some of the other teams. (laughs) A ringing endorsement (laughs) 13 games into the season. (laughs) All right, man. Hey, I am excited to get your thoughts on the Monday night game this week. But first, let's talk about Seattle's matchup against the bane of both of our teams' existences right now, the San Francisco 49ers. What stood out to you most about that battle as you were watching it?
1: I mean, they were going to face an uphill climb. They were huge underdogs. They were wanted to go to 13-and-a-half uh, before the game once everyone realized Drew Locke was going to start. I mean, just what has stood out to me, and it's probably not fair, honestly, because the 49ers are making every team look like this. They mm-hmm. the, the previous week, they scored – if you thought that Seahawks game was bad, they scored touchdowns on six straight possessions yeah. against the Eagles uh, the previous week. So they're really you know, – I've been waiting all season. Hey, is there going to be that sort of juggernaut team this year – and that 49ers offense, by every number, metric, X and O you look at, it, it's like they're giving everyone problems. But with this Seahawks defense specifically, I'm just kind of looking at it like they poured a lot of resources into this group. When you look yeah. at what they gave up for Jamal Adams and uh, drafting Witherspoon has been fantastic and trading for Leonard Williams and signing Draymond Jones and uh, Saquandre, like, they poured a lot of resources into it. And what are they? 26th in defensive DVOA, something like that. And it's just right. been like year after year after year, really since I was there, I think covering the team in uh, 2015 and 2016. Like since that, they've just like tried different tweaks here and there, whether it's coaching, whether it's personnel, and they have not been able to rise above mediocrity with that defense. And so uh, that group, I think, has, has been disappointing this year. And it's not, uh, again, not just that 49ers game. They're making everyone look like that. But you can look at the previous week against Dallas where, man, if you get just like one stop there with as well as the play. How field, about one punt? Play, can
0: one you give punt, me one yeah? punt?
1: One punt, yeah. So, um, that, that's kind of what was my big picture take. I wasn't going to read too much into the offense with Drew Locke starting there, but uh, defensively, they just it's been like five years they haven't been able to pay, find the answers.
0: You know what? I'm glad that you started there because that is the biggest conundrum to me, and you said it. I mean, they've tried a lot of things. I think you know, in 20 back half of 2016 through even you could buy them like 2019, they're trying to figure out that post LOB uh you know era it's you got to a point where the league kind of figured out how to beat that cover 3 and so it's not just even if you could reload the talent which obviously you're never going to be able to reload camp chancellor richard sherman earl thomas michael bennett on and on but even if you could the scheme was starting to get figured out and so now you've got all new talent you've got money being allocated in different ways and Like you said, they've tried different (laughs) coordinators. The grace period is up for me. Like you have a defensive head coach. This is the thing, right? You, almost every fan is frustrated with their offensive play calling and execution, right? There's a few teams that are, not for the most part, most teams are, but the thing that bought you grace for that was that Pete Carroll is going to have a great defense. And so that's going to be okay. And he doesn't. And I don't know how much of that is Pete. How much of that is they've had the wrong guys playing the calls. How much of it is John Schneider picking the wrong guys, but you know what? I don't think it's that last thing. I don't think it's a talent or a personnel issue.
1: Yeah. I always, when I talk about, you know, coaching, I always like to use the very simple met, like, are you doing more with less or, uh, are you doing more with more? Are you doing less, uh, you know, less with more, and right. So you can, can kind of compare it that way. You know, just, uh, No, I listen. Some of their players, I do think, are exactly what they thought. You know, someone like Jamal Adams, like he's not going to be exactly what you thought you were getting, and you have to use him in a very specific way, and you pour resources into it. So you're going to let you know you pay them and you give them, so you're going to stick with it. Um, But that does kind of put some limitations on whether how flexible you can be, how you want to use other guys. Uh, the pass rush, you know, they, they, they've they tried different things. You lose Nwosu for the year. That doesn't help, uh, those kinds of things. So it's probably been a little bit of everything. I mean, the, the truth is defensive football in the year 2023 is it's really tough. hard. I mean, it's, it's like tough. you mentioned that with offensive, you know, offensive play calling. Uh, it's probably similar with a lot of teams, and they're looking at their defenses. Like, who are the great defenses? You know, like we could say the like, like Cowboys are probably a top five defense. And look at what the Seahawks did to them. That's right. You know, two two weeks ago, um, and so I think there's a lot of that go, going around. Like it, it's just hard um, to come up with the answers. I think offense is ahead of defense. So much of it is just like who are the opponents you're playing. You know, that's the big conversation in Philadelphia. It's like last year the offense, right? And it's like the best quarterback they beat was Daniel Jones or Kirk Cousins, and they just mm-hmm. went through a stretch where they played Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Dak Prescott, I'm missing. I'm missing somebody else, but it's like you know, that you're lot, missing the best
0: lot, of them all, Brock Purdy. Yeah.
1: Uh, Brock Purdy, there you go. Uh, the, the Brock Purdy in that Niners offense. A lot of it is just like, what is your uh, strength of schedule, and then you need the randomness when you're facing those great teams. You Does a do. turnover go your way? Can you get the? Can you recover that fumble? Can you force them into like those? two mistakes throughout the course of a game. Uh, you're not going to force those teams into three and outs over and over and over again. That's not what defensive football is in the year 2023. It's just so different now.
0: Yeah, and you know, it, it's worth saying, and we've mentioned it before on this show, and, and other people covering this team have as well, but look, the Seahawks' defense was was good this year when WOSU was out there. Like, they were top three in pressure rate and pass one pass rush win rate and all of these underlying metrics. And then also forcing turnovers at a high rate and getting sacks at a high rate. Explosive plays on defense that Seattle hasn't seen in half a decade. And that was so encouraging because as I'm fond of saying, you're allowed to be bad and you're allowed to be boring, but you can't be both. And, yeah. <laughs> and the Seahawks were neither for the first half of the season. So it's like you lose in WOSU. And your depth up front gets exposed because now they're trying to move Draymond Jones outside. You know, Jaron Reed has to, well, Leonard Williams is helping Jaron Reed carry all the weight inside now, but Daryl Taylor's just not it. Um, You know, they're trying to manufacture pressure. They're blitzing Devin Witherspoon a bunch, which is cool, but you'd like to be able to get some pressure outside of that. And so there's this domino effect that I think exposes the depth, but then you also look at who the teams that they were playing, you know, 11 sacks against the Giants. Uh, it's shutting down the Arizona Cardinals. It's, you know, playing really good games against uh, the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, also, and, and the thing that made me think they might actually be good was when they shut down the Bengals. You know, the Bengals complete like their first 15 passes, score touchdowns in the opening drives. And I think they got like two first downs on their final 10 drives or something. And I was like, okay, here we go. You're losing WOSU. And it's just dominoes from there. So, I mean, I'd like to think it's an off-season away from shoring up, but it feels like the issue for me with the defense is, isn't is talent, it's connectivity. There always seems to be one or two guys that isn't doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, and they're still, you know, you talked about how they moved away a little bit uh, from the cover three of the Legion of Boom days. I was just looking up the numbers today. They're still playing that at a pretty high rate, but they're yep. mixing in those split safety zones. Uh, quite a bit. And so they're still, I think, the second highest zone coverage team in the NFL. And so it, it's like you mentioned zone coverage is all about being on a string and knowing, all right, we know how they're gonna attack us. We know when they try to attack this weak area to feel who's running with this guy. How are we covering it? Knowing those different route concepts, having everyone's eyes on the quarterback so that you can come up with turnovers. I mean that's why you play a lot of zone coverage. I think that's why Pete Carroll likes playing a lot of zone coverage because, you know, theoretically, there are more chances for takeaways when everyone's kind of got their eyes forward and you're not trailing uh, a receiver. But uh, you're right. It it just hasn't been there for whatever reason. They've got some younger players, obviously, Witherspoon and Bullens in his second year. And then they've got the uh, mix of veterans who, like we said, you know, are the same athletes maybe they were in their prime. So it's kind of that They're in that in-between area where it's a little bit of a a weird mix. You probably still need, I would say, uh, either that pass rush to be a next level higher uh, than it is now uh, or just for some of those younger players to get those reps or uh, to add some more athleticism on the back end right now.
0: On the other side of the ball, there's been a really interesting dichotomy with Seattle, whereas their EPA in the first quarter this year is like top four. Like on the scripted plays, Shane Waldron is cooking. And we saw it again, even with Drew Locke on that opening drive against the 49ers, four for five, 68 yards, a perfect contested catch, go get it ball to DK Metcalf at the front pylon. And it was like, oh, oh, maybe there's a conversation to be had after all. And then like, you remember that you have to play the second, third and fourth quarters also. And, you know, I've been, uh, yesterday I had a, Kind of a longer conversation with uh, another of our favorite people in this in, in this sphere, uh, C. Mike Spin Move, Griffin Sturgeon, and we were talking about EPA splits. And you know, he was asking me my thoughts on Waldron. I was like, "Man, I I'm I'm on such a yo-yo with him because I feel like he's so good early in the game, but why why can't he counterpunch?" And you know, so he started diving into the EPA splits. And the Seahawks are top five in every single quarter in EPA on first and second down. Mm. And they're top three on third down in the first quarter in EPA. They are dead last on third down in every other quarter. It's just this like one thing that when you need the high leverage play and teams have started to make their adjustments to what you're doing, Seattle doesn't have an answer for it. Yeah. Third down in a lot of ways,
1: it feels like it it just kind of comes down to your your playmakers. Your, it could yep. be your quarterback. It could be, does your wide receiver win uh, one-on-one? You know, those are the situations where you're going to probably face uh, more man coverage than you would on early downs. It's an obvious passing situation. So can you protect? I mean, that's probably, uh, without having looked into the numbers, I would imagine that would probably be a big part of it. You know, first it's and second down. a huge part of it, for sure. Yeah, the, the defenses are, they got to they gotta play both. They're not sure, are you running? Are you passing? They might have a nose tackle in there. They might have some base personnel in there. Um, Third down specifically, you know, third and what, four, five, six or more. They know it's a passing down. We can kind of tee off on the quarterback a little bit. Seahawks have had injuries on their offensive line. Uh, And so that, just when you were mentioning it, I'm like, all right, I wonder uh, why that is. I I would guess that that would be, I could be wrong, but I would guess that that's probably uh, a big part of it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's a similar effect that we saw on the defensive side with the loss of Uchenna and Wosu. Abe Lucas got hurt in week one right around halftime. And in the first half against the Rams, you know, they had three scoring drives and four opportunities. They no four and five, four scoring drives and, and five opportunities in that first half of the season. A Lucas goes down and all of a sudden they have the third highest pressure rate allowed in the NFL for the next two months. And then he comes back against the Cowboys. They don't punt, right? Like it's just, it's crazy how much better they are with this one player on the side of the ball. And look, I get it. They're only, they're less than two seasons removed from what was supposed to be a total teardown rebuild in the eyes of most people after the Russell Wilson trade. And so maybe it's unrealistic to expect that they just be so deep. It's not like, it's not like the Eagles, where if you guys lost an edge rusher, it's just like, which of the next seven guys is going to step up and mimic that production? Um, You know, so I, I do think there it has a lot to do with the pass protection. Shield, man, we can be honest. That's every team in the NFL right now. Every team has to deal with pass protection. I feel like part of being a successful offensive coordinator in 2023 is the ability to deal with the fact that you're not going to have a lot of time to throw, which is why we're seeing the Shanahan and McVay tree offenses really do well because it's lots of motion. It's lots of miss, lots of misdirection. And I guess I would just like to see a little bit more of that from Seattle.
1: There's no doubt. You have to, you know, find ways to scheme it up. Like every team's going to have an injury. Every team's going to have a couple injuries, some key injuries. How do you coach around? And as I always joke, that is what the, as Don Draper would say, that is what the money's for. That is yeah. why you like, if it was that's easy, right. if every, you know, if everybody that's was right. healthy and good and could go out and play, well, why are we paying you again? Like that's the definition of coaching. You're paid to solve a lot of those problems so uh, i look at it overall they're what i think 11th in offensive dvoa nope. they've been a little uh hit or miss like i don't view that necessarily as a group that's underperforming its talent like i think before the season i did my rankings i think i had them in the top 10 but probably in that like 8 to 12 uh area so i would say they're probably you know I-, I thought they had some upside for sure you know depending on what smith and jigba could give them as a rookie i just thought those three guys are going to be very tough to defend uh, for opposing uh opposing defenses but yeah i think the protection aspect especially you know gino has i think played well over two years at the same time is he at that level of you know the elite guys where it's like you know you could have two backup offensive tackles and three backup wide receivers. And like Josh Allen is still going to find a way to make, you know, eight plays a game. That's the thing. Holy cow. How did he do that? So you don't have that like, like the situation still needs to be good around, Gino when it is, uh, he can make plays. We've seen that when it comes down a little bit, uh, you know, it's just going to be harder for him.
0: No, it's, it's so true. I mean, you know, the, the ecosystem is still super important and, you know, I've, I've generally held the belief since about halfway through last season. And, and look, most metrics are going to bear this out. Geno Smith's basically been a top 10 quarterback. And just, I mean, you you'd have to work really hard to make a case that says he definitely isn't. But there's a huge difference between being a top 10 quarterback and being a top five quarterback. And it is the Mahomes, I think Jalen Hurts, the Josh Allens, Lamar Jackson, and I think you're also kind of talking about Herbert and Burrow where the talent is just so massive and the feel for the game is so undeniable that, okay, you can miss a lineman. You can have a receiver go out. These guys, like you say, are still going to make the play. You're still scared of them on third and 14. And you know, that Gino, I think Gino is actually a pretty freaking good quarterback as far as the NFL landscape goes right now, but You're right. He's he's not the pull your ass out of the fire ten times a game quarterback.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he's he's exceeded uh, expectations. I would agree with that. I mean, I haven't done my you know specific rankings, but I I would think he's got to be right around there, right around ten, right around twelve. And it's not like it doesn't have to be perfect around him. Like to be clear, he will make tight window throws, and he's aggressive, and uh, you know he'll give his guys shots, and he can climb the pocket, and uh, he doesn't have a bad bad feel for it. Uh, or anything like that, you know. They've just had some really tough, like high leverage situations, or just you know, like that Bengals game. I remember watching that Bengals game earlier this season, where I'm like, "That's a because I picked the Bengals to go to the Super Bowl." And I came away from that game like I don't think I watched it live. Yeah. I watched it after, and I'm like, Seahawks should have won that game." Like, Cleveland played them in that game, and then there's that Rams game. I remember I said it on the Ringer NFL show after that one. I go, "That could be the most devastating loss by any team all season." Like, they had that game. And now you look at their schedule coming up, like, oh my gosh. And then we look at the Cowboys game two weeks ago. Like they have that game and then they can't get. These are the, the games stop, that so. Pete Carroll These teams are, are supposed to be winning. Yeah. And you, you don't know? have to win all three. Like think about if they would have won one of it. If they won two them. of those, they're in great shape. If they win one of them, you're feeling pretty good. To lose all three, that's kind of why they're, you know, in this situation right now. And let's be honest, we don't like to admit it. There's like luck factors in a big way. A little of course. bounce here, a little I bounce mean, there, a penalty here, a recovered fumble there. Um, so those things I feel like haven't gone. You're right. It feels like a lot of that stuff has gone their way in previous years. Uh, have They haven't gone their way this year.
0: No, it's it's true. I mean, you know, for, for as upset as the second half of that second Rams game made Mike and I, they still they still were a field goal attempt away from winning that game. And this is still a team that won in overtime at Detroit. This is still a team that beat a very good Browns team with a last second touchdown. Like, I mean, it hasn't all gone against them. It just feels like everything that went their way happened in September and October. And that was a long time ago. And so, you know, recency bias really starts to creep in. It's like I said in the article on Sunday, if the Seahawks started zero and four and then went six and three, we'd feel way differently about them being six and seven. But it went the other way. They started six and three and then went zero and four, and it feels like they're a lost cause. That's how it goes. That's how it is. There, it's like it's wild. I
1: mean, I don't know if it's just because I'm like I'm an old man now, but just the uh, like man, the swings week to week about <laughs> where the opinions go on players, on teams, and coaches. It's like. All right, so there's, I guess, nothing matters until you know, like, like uh, Parcells used to say, until after Thanksgiving, I guess. But um, yeah, you kind of have to zoom out a little bit and be like, all right, what's happened in the last two weeks is not everything that has happened this season. Uh, take a deep breath and see what the. But but it is it is true also that these teams, these coaches, these players, a lot of them will be judged on what happens in the next four weeks. I mean that that just that, that's just how it is, you know. Like it's it's fair, so just, true. Just, just, yeah, that's what
0: matters. It's so true. And like, that's when injuries are at the highest. I feel like as an NFL fan, you're almost like day trading crypto where it's just like these wild swings every single day. And it's like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta zoom out and look at the all time chart here before you get, you know, before you get too caught up in what the most recent thing that happened was. And And so I I get it. It's one of the things we appreciate about you. One of the things we try and keep in mind is just that perspective that, okay, let's, let's look at the overall picture and it's been a rough month in, in Seattle, but I mean, again, you know, the fact that they still have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs is encouraging given where they're at in the overall team development. Last thing I want to touch on with this game is your thoughts on just how much better than the rest of the league, the 49ers are, if you feel that they are. And follow up for how much longer can they get away with this fuckery?
1: (laughs) That's the best question I've gotten during a podcast uh, so far this year. I will give you credit for that. Um, It took me a while. You know, coming into the season, I thought, all right, it's been eight games of Brock Purdy. I'm not going overboard. I want to see more of him before Mm -hmm. I say uh, they can continue this pace and he's played better than last year. Their offense is better than any other 49 ers Shanahan offense uh, we've seen. So uh, I do. I think two weeks ago I said, all right, I'm at the point where I think the 49ers are winning the Super Bowl. I think this is Kyle Shanahan's year. Um, I just look at them offensively like, listen, there's a game in the playoffs where if they turn it over a couple times, they can lose that game. There's no doubt about it. But I don't see a defense that's going to, like, limit them to 240 yards or force them to punt, you know, four times during the course of the game. I just like, I don't know what the, what the answers are. There's no coverage. There's no, uh, if there is, um, you know, I think I made the the joke recently, like if they have a playoff game where someone does that, Whatever scheme that is or game plan, yeah. like that's the one. That that's the Netflix new blueprint. think will be like writing a book about that uh, <laughs> 10 years from now. I don't know what it is. Like play man coverage against those guys? Okay. Uh, good luck, you know, winning your one-on-ones against McCaffrey and Kittle and Ayuk and Debo. Uh, play zone. They just have so many zone beaters with, uh, with House Shanahan schemes it up and how aggressive ferdy is throwing the ball downfield his decision making his processing uh is very good so yeah there are i mean i'm telling you like the the numbers on their offense that i've dug into recently compared to like the best offenses we've seen in the last 10 years um you know whatever offenses you think those are they're right there or better um than all of them so yeah i do think right now uh as we sit here there is a gap now they got to stay as you said they got to stay healthy it's the most boring part of uh analysis turnovers and health it's like yes we know you don't need to mention it but uh they got to stay if they're healthy um they're they're going to be my pick to win the super bowl
0: yeah yeah and you know uh Kenneth arthur recently did a great breakdown of the 49ers uh, salary cap situation on his seaside joe newsletter and you know they they are definitely loading up the credit card the way that the Rams did a couple years ago. They just feel even better than the Rams did a couple years ago. They're going to have some really tough decisions, including on someone that's probably good I don't have an MVP vote because if I did, the number one name on my ballot would be Trent Williams because with him, they are a supernova. They are maybe the best offense since the Kurt Warner, Mike Martz, offenses of the late 90s early 2000s without them they're 0 and three and they scored 17 points in every every single game for as much as i was just harping on seattle for how much losing one player on offense in abe lucas or one player on defense in chen wosu is the 49ers who are by all accounts the best team in the nfl lost one player i guess they were without debo for a couple of those games too but still they didn't score any points (laughs) Yeah, you know. So I mean, I don't know. I I feel like he's almost a bigger linchpin than than Purdy or the rest of them.
1: Yeah, the uh, you know the, the old line nerds, Brandon Thorn, who does a great job with his uh, uh, analyzing the offensive line, has the substack trench warfare. Yeah, he's been. I mean, he talked about Trent Williams every every year, just as the best offensive lineman in the NFL, the best offensive tackle uh, in the NFL, and also, I mean, I think there's like a, dom- a bit of a domino effect there because you look at the rest of their offensive line, and it's really not the most talented group, you know, like like right. you said um, about the Seahawks. I mean, they find ways to scheme around some of the weaknesses they have there, specifically at right tackle. So then, when you lose your best guy, um, you know, then it makes it harder. For everyone else so yeah he, he's got to stay healthy uh those other guys have to have to stay healthy but they have the luxury of they've they've got the quarterback on the seventh round uh rookie contract and they can it. push money into the future and keep this window open uh as long as they want to i think Ayuk is a free agent um this off season but man i'd be surprised uh if they let him walk so i i think you know uh, i i'm always in favor of when you have that window it's okay to be a little reckless yes. trying to win the super bowl if you're yes. the saints don't do it if you're the 49ers right. like you know if you're rooting for the 49ers like yes yes i want to keep all of our best players i don't care if that means you know three years from now we're going to be in a little bit of a tr- of trouble like, with this it is the whole point yeah, yeah this is the whole point uh building a, a franchise is to have these moments have these windows where you can win and, and not have to worry about the future
0: Well, and it's, it's so crazy too, because if it wasn't for Brock Purdy, the 49ers would be holding the L on maybe the biggest misuse of resources in the last 10 years by trading three first round picks to get Trey Lance. And, you know, nothing ever happened there, but it's like of all the different types of COVID era debt relief that we saw, none was bigger than drafting Brock Purdy with the last overall pick (laughs) because he's forgiving that whole entire thing. Bailed him out. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Where would they be? I don't know what they, what they would be doing. Who
1: would be their quarterback? Would maybe Mac Jones. I I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, who it would be. It wouldn't be Trey Lance, but I don't think it'd be Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, you just take a flyer on day three of the draft, and here you go. You have the best offense for the last 10 years.
0: Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. You know what else is wild? The Seahawks have lost five of their last six games and are somehow, like we said, still just one game back of the sixth seed. But meanwhile, the Eagles were two games clear the entire NFC two weeks ago, and yet if the playoffs started today, they'd be the five seed. How'd that happen?
1: Ah, uh, well, where do we, where do we begin here? Let's <laughs> floor is, uh, <laughs>
0: floor is yours.
1: Yeah. First they played the 49ers and they had no <laughs> chance of stopping the 49ers who we scored a six straight possessions. Uh, you know, I, I think there was this lingering feeling um, among Eagles fans for the first, even when they had that 10 and one record, like is this team as good as the record says it is, you know, I think they were seven and one in one score games. If you look at, point differential it was not in the same neighborhood as teams like the 49ers and cowboys and you know then you hear all the cliche this team just finds a way to win and to be <laughs> fair it was like with jalen hurts i mean they were like 24 and 2 in his last 26 so like even for someone like me who likes analytics and x's and o's and is just i'm like i don't know like do i need to reconsider the <laughs> this team just knows how to win thing with this uh, his quarterback so um, i think some of that caught up to him you know they've got Issues defensively, which, you know, certainly we can get into. Uh, offensively, it's been a little more hit or, hit or miss. It's been a little vanilla. It's been a little relying on a lot of one-on-one stuff and your roster just being better uh, than opposing rosters, um, stuff not going your way. And so you add all that up, and it's been two blowout losses to your biggest competition uh, in the NFC. And to be fair, they're still like pretty well positioned here. I think even if they lose this game to the Seahawks, they've got the Giants twice. Um, and the Cardinals once in the final three, where they would still be in a good spot, I think, to win the NFC East, but mm-hmm. prob- not in a good spot um, unless the 49ers really stumble to get that one seed. So that's kind of been the way their their season has gone. Whereas last year, everything felt easy. They were blowing teams out. They're sitting guys in the fourth quarter. Um, and then this year, even when they were winning, like there were a couple games in there where you're like, oh, okay, they look legit. But a lot of those games, you're kind of like, ooh, you know, that that took a lot uh, kind of some bounces to go there where they're way late for them to get to 10 and one,
0: you know, one of the penalties of success in the NFL, and there are many, the way that the league is set up is losing your, basically having your coaching staff get headhunted. So, you know, it, it feels to me, you mentioned, you know, there's some, some sense among Eagles fans. Are we as good as this 10 and one record? I didn't, think that the eagles were i thought that you were the second or third best team in the nfl at the time um but it felt like okay i mean you're sweating out two wins against the the commanders they're whoa you're trailing at halftime five or six consecutive games you know it wasn't it wasn't the formula from last year so question for you is two-parter how close to being back on track is philadelphia and how big of the reason that they're off track is the loss of Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon?
1: Yeah, I don't think the coordinator thing is a huge deal. I mean, I I personally don't think Jonathan Gannon is like a defensive mastermind. You know, sure. they, they face, uh, I mean, I think they, the Cardinals this year have like a bottom three uh, defense in the NFL. Last year was a perfect storm for the Eagles defense. They had all 11 starters healthy for the Super Bowl. They faced, I think, the worst, uh, the, the worst, um, opposing offenses in the entire nfl um and so everything kind of they were healthy they faced a weak schedule and things kind of came together i like watching them on a weekly basis i wasn't like oh baby they're scheming things up and uh doing a great job here it was kind of like their players were just better than the opponent players and they uh, opposing players and they faced bad quarterbacks anytime they faced a good quarterback uh they got lit up so i feel like if jonathan gannon were on the the eagles defensive coordinator this year facing The 49ers and Mahomes and Allen and Prescott twice and the Dolphins, I think their defense would be the same uh, or worse this year. So I don't think that's a big factor. Offensively, you could probably make a stronger case, you know, that Shane Steichen uh, has done a nice job with the Colts this year and maybe losing him has led to uh, some of their regression. At the same time, they've got an offensive-minded head coach. You know, you mentioned it with Pete Carroll. Nick Sirianni was a – wide receivers coach and then uh, an offensive coordinator. And so um, it's still his offense uh, at its heart. So a little bit, yes, I I would say uh, with the coordinators, but probably not like the, uh, you know, the big I, I would say it's a little overrated uh if i'm being honest That's i forget fair. what the second part of the question was i told you i'm old it's you know like i got dealing with a little bit of a cold like this isn't my <laughs> flu game but uh you'll have to forgive me and, and remind me uh <laughs> what, the, what the second part of the question was
0: no no it just the the question was just how close to being back on track are the eagles yes. and and i'll piggyback on that as you're thinking about the things that are off track if if you really feel like there are things that are off track with the eagles is Seattle positioned to exploit those things?
1: Yeah, so I think there are uh, a couple. I, I don't I, I don't know that the Eagles are back on track. I mean, listen, the stats are going to look better down the stretch. That's just because they're going to play the Giants twice uh, and the Cardinals once. And they're going to be in the playoffs, and we'll see what they look like at that time. It's going to be hard to shake those performances against the 49ers and the Cowboys. And so offensively, I would say I have more confidence. You know, they're still very healthy there, their offensive line is very good. You still have Hurts. You still have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. Like, there should be answers there offensively where you look pretty good here down the stretch. Defensively, I'm not so sure. And, and that's where, when you ask, can the Seahawks expose some of that stuff? It's really going to come down to, can they block up this Eagles defensive line? You know, the Eagles have had this organizational philosophy that overinvest in the offensive line and in the defensive line mm-hmm. and figure everything else out. It's been a pretty good philosophy. They've won a lot of games with it. They've gotten to the Super Bowl a couple times in the last, what, six, seven years by doing that. That pass rush is underperforming in a big way right now. They've got on third down. They're the worst third down defense in the NFL. You were mentioning the Seahawks on uh, third down. So this is going to be a battle because I think (laughs) the Eagles are 32nd in defensive DVOA on third down this year. And a big part of that is their pass rush isn't winning. They have the lowest sack rate of any defense on third down in the entire NFL. That is insane
0: to me. I would have bet that they would have the highest going into the season.
1: Yeah, and you know, I know, and people say, "Well, all right, coverage is tied to pass rush." I mean, I looked at the numbers, and like teams are not getting rid of the football quickly on third down against them. It's it's pretty much league average. Like there is time to get pressure to produce those negative plays. Last year, they were they were first to your point uh, on third down, and it it was some wild number. It was like nineteen percent of the time on third down (laughs) they were producing a sack. This year, it's like five percent of the time, and so it could be a number of things. You know, some of their players like Josh Sweat very good defensive end. He's already played more snaps this year than he did last year. They they poured resources into defensive tackle with the two Georgia guys, uh, Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter at Georgia. Those guys rotate like they did not play a lot of snaps. They've got so many guys and now they're being asked to play a lot of snaps. And I think sweat Carter and Davis uh are without a sack those three combined in the last four games so it's like it they're not affecting um the quarterback as much as they need to and then they're old in the back end they've got four of their five uh, defensive backs who are 30 years or older right and when they face the 49ers you're just like they're kind of they look slow like is this is one team on like you know 1.5 speed and the other team on a regular speed or what's going on here because the 49ers were just running uh right past them so it's kind of a combination of all those things so i do think if the seahawks can can protect uh assuming Gino's back give him some time there's just going to be opportunities in the passing game for them for sure
0: so what you're telling me is that when the Seahawks have the ball on third down it's the stoppable force versus the movable yes. object
1: <laughs> yeah what's going to happen both, <laughs> both sides are going to try to give that one away yeah we'll, we'll see what happens, what it looks like
0: you know you know I I, I wasn't thinking about this before the show and I probably should have, but I'm thinking about it now. So I'm going to ask you if you had a vote for defensive rookie of the year and you had to cast it right now, Whew. I think, I think there's a feeling that the top two candidates for that award are going to be playing in this game. Would you lean Devin Witherspoon or Jalen Carter? Oh man. How, how many games did Witherspoon miss earlier this season? Just the one, I believe. It was just one. Okay.
1: Oh man. that Honestly, that would be one where I would need to get out, get out all my nerd stats and watch <laughs> the film and make this, i think you're right i think those are you know probably the two guys i mean will i'm trying to think who else willie anderson has had a nice year yes um in houston but i do think like like jalen carter at the halfway point of the season i would have said jalen carter mm-hmm. and i probably wouldn't have had uh i would have said Witherspoon's had a very nice year but jalen carter is like aside from aaron donald and dama rookie year like this guy uh totally and, 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 It's not just the numbers. I mean, the film, like, every week was just like, holy cow. Like, I have not seen defensive tackles do this on a weekly basis. It's been a little bit quieter, though. Like I said, I think he's gone four straight games without a quarterback hit. So it really could come down to the last four games. Honestly, in in terms of, like, the narrative, if if Witherspoon plays this week, like, this game could go a long way. Totally. This game will stick out uh, in people's minds about Monday night football, big spot which one of them uh, shows up here so I'm not a terrible podcast guest you ask me a question and I'm not even giving you a take I'm saying I need more time uh, with nah, it, man I, don't know. Hey, this listen. Just how I feel
0: listen <laughs> an honest I don't know is so much better than a manufactured take like because because I know that if you say I'm not sure yet, it's not because you know it's 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 for good reason. So uh, we'll yeah. we'll let you cop out of this one. All right. So one last one well, last Jackson, question. Jackson, about, who do you think it is? I would vote right now. So I also would have a month ago given Jalen Carter the vote, and I know that would, it's going to piss off a lot of Seahawks fans. I just thought he was having a bigger effect on games than Devin Witherspoon was, and that's no knock on Devin Witherspoon. Right now, I would give it to Devin Witherspoon. I. I mean, he's just had a better last month, even though they've been losing all these games. It's not like they're losing because Devin Witherspoon is getting exposed. The guy is playing like a veteran out there. And like Mike and I were talking about two, three weeks ago, he might be the best player on this team this season. And it is really, really rare for a rookie, especially a defensive rookie, to be able to to have a claim to that. And sure, maybe that's an indictment of, of the rest of the team. A little bit too, you know. I, I'd say probably now it's DK Metcalf, but he was playing through a bunch of injuries early in the season, and now <laughs> it's, the DK Metcalf discourse is so busted in Seattle. <laughs> it's just like how how are you guys not just thrilled that this dude is on your team all the time? But for some reason, this is a point of contention. But it's like now that he's healthy, he's he's showing everybody just why he's been one of the most high profile wide receivers in the NFL, and in fact. Him and AJ Brown as like the two prototypes of the modern NFL receiver and former college teammates going head to head in this game is going to be cool too. Uh, but okay, okay. So last question about this game because you've covered the Seahawks and you've covered the Eagles, you you know enough about these two fan bases to answer this question: Is the fallout worse if Seattle loses or if Philly loses? Good, great Good. good, good. I, I, you
1: know, I think I would probably have to say the Seahawks only because the stakes. Are like, like you know, Eagles fans will be uh, angry, which is, you know, their natural state anyway, their <laughs> most comfortable state. Uh, I was joking earlier, like everyone made the joke earlier this season that it was like the perfect Eagle season because they were winning games, but the fans still had so much to be angry about uh, <laughs> yeah, after totally. every win. So it's like, totally. oh, this is perfect. You know, so I think if the Eagles lose this game, don't get me wrong, there there will be panic, uh, there will be wild takes flying left and right. But after a few days they can sit back and be like, all right, we got this easy schedule. The final three weeks, we're still in a good spot. We're going to make the playoffs. Maybe you're going to, you know, still win the division. I mean, if the Seahawks lose this one, I mean, they're still not going to be out of it. Uh, There's no doubt. they, They still will have a chance to win their final three and be in the mix. But man, five in a row, like, it feels yeah. weird just saying that for a Pete Carroll led uh, led team five games in a row. It never happened. or never happened. So I think that would probably be the one. And it's but and also just kind of the way their team is built. It's not like you have a 24 year old quarterback. It's like all right, all good. You know, right. he showed improvement. They'll be back next year. It's kind of like you felt like you could make a leap this year. Um, yes. And if you don't do it, and if you don't make the playoffs. That's going to be a, a tough pill to swallow. So uh, I would probably go with the Seahawks. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I I tend to agree. And and they're just two teams that are in different stages of their development for sure. I think I think the Eagles last year and this year is kind of where in the best part of Seattle's range of outcomes is where they are next year and the year following. Uh, they just they just got some work to to do there. I feel like the pieces are there. But, you know, it, it hasn't come together the way that we kind of got duped into thinking they were ready to put it together, you know, given how much they had exceeded expectations last year and the hot start they got off to this year. You know, earlier in the episode, you mentioned the value of zooming out, which is something that Mike and I are big believers in. So let's do that here. Let's, let's step away from these two teams. And just looking at the conference, given the relative mediocrity of the NFC after the top three teams, how likely do you think it is that the Seahawks make the playoffs? Because y'all have essentially clinched already.
1: I'm, I'm pulling up my uh, my uh, standings right now just to make sure I see the teams they're competing with here. All right, so we've and, got... And
0: just so you know, the Seahawks go Eagles, but then after that, it's Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Arizona.
1: Okay. All right, so I, I was going to ask you earlier what the rest of their schedule looks like. All right, so I think they've got a good challenge. The Vikings at 7-6 and six with Nick Mullins. Come on. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get in. So, uh, there's two spots to put. Now, I will say I have been on record as saying I think the Packers and the Rams are getting in. So I guess that would leave yep. the Seahawks out there. I think those are the three teams, Packers, Rams, Seahawks. I think two of those three are getting in. I'm not telling you I feel extremely confident uh, about it. I was just kind of falling in love with the Jordan Love story over that month of the season. Tough like, not oh, to. Oh, my goodness, yeah. dude. Yeah. And then they took a step back and they had a. I mean, it's a good. Re- Monday night was a good reminder, man, that like we can look at this and I can say, oh, this team's schedule. And it's like, ah, uh, the Dolphins were what, 13 and a half point favorites yep. and had a two touchdown lead with what, three, four minutes left against a rookie quarterback. And they lost that game. So. I'm gonna. I just can't. I'm gonna say Packers and Rams only because I've been on record, and I don't want to be the fraud who goes on one podcast and says one nope. thing, and then on the other no, podcast man. says the other, and then you know people are meshing the takes together, and I look like a fraud. So I gotta stick with what I said totally. uh, originally. Now. So, so I'm going to go Packers and Rams uh, with the Seahawks just missing out there.
0: So there you go. Yeah, no, and we we appreciate that you're not pandering here. Like we we have yawned because we want to know what you think. (laughs) And and I would say if I knew the same amount about every team and was a betting man, those are the two teams that I would bet on. Uh, You know, it's looking more and more like an eight and nine team could get in, which is kind of gross. It's kind of the risk of allowing seven teams from each conference in, which I think is better for the sport anyway. But uh, yeah, so there is a chance that, you know, Seattle at six and seven could go (laughs) two and two and get in. Problem is, is they lose the tiebreaker to the Rams because like just Mm. straight up no matter what, because they got, they got swept. I do think the Rams need to play the 49ers one more time. And I'm not sure if they've played Y'all yet have they? Yes, the Eagles okay. beat the Rams. Uh, okay, yeah, literally. I'm not sure if they played in the, season. the the cow. I think they played the Cowboys too. Darn the, Cowboys yeah. Yeah, the Cowboys beat them. Yeah, the Cowboys beat them earlier. So they they might the only Rams have the have, one tough game left.
1: They got the Commanders, uh the Saints at the Giants, and at the Niners. Okay, as they actually could. You know what? This could that could that, be bad news because that, that could be two Niners and yeah well the Niners also but on the other hand Niners they have that one seed locked up that's so true likely Ah, so
0: true yeah
1: so yeah it's nice to be able to play the Niners in week 18 versus when everyone else has to play them but who knows well then it's up to
0: it's up to the Eagles to keep that from happening
1: (laughs) yeah that's right we'll see uh but I don't think there's a lot separating those three three teams the Rams um, the Seahawks and the Packers. I think a lot of that will come down to injury luck, who's healthy, who's getting the random turnover. You know, as much as this is terrible analysis, who's getting the random turnover. It's true though. The random though. call, the random DPI with, you know, in the fourth quarter that everyone's talking about the next day. Uh, but I, I would say those teams are pretty evenly matched. I mean, that Rams offense has, has been very impressive to me when they've had everyone healthy, Uh, The Packers have been coming on, but they're a very young team. I mean, it could go in either direction. I don't trust either of those defenses. And if Geno's healthy, this Seahawks passing game, like you said, if their offensive line is healthy, if Geno's healthy, they should be able to move the football on these teams down the stretch. But uh, all those defenses are probably going to put a little scare into their fan bases uh, a couple times here down the stretch.
0: Oh, yeah, no no question about it. And, like, look, for all of the turnover and debt paying that the Rams have had to do after that Super Bowl push McVay and a healthy Stafford together is just, just as a football fan. You know, I always say I'm a football fan first and a Seahawks fan second, just as a football fan. It's so beautiful, man. I mean, some of these, so every week Stafford is giving you three or four throws that you're just like, maybe five guys, maybe five people out of 8 billion on the planet can do what he just did.
1: Yeah, it feels like he he realizes like kind of his age, and it's like I don't know how many of these I got. Uh, I got <laughs> yeah, left. Like I'm totally. just gonna let it rip. He's ripping uh, okay. it, man. He's yeah. ripping it. He, you're right. He's had some of the most like aesthetically pleasing throws of the year. If you made a list of you know like the top 50 totally. of the NFL, he, he would probably be the leader. I, I would agree with you there. Some of these uh, are just beautiful, and then you know, good McVeigh sort of having to reinvent himself a little bit uh, mm-hmm. with this group. I mean. I didn't think they were going to be good. They had a 35-year-old injured quarterback behind a unproven offensive line and here they are with the top uh, top 8 top 10 offense uh, so far this season. So yeah, that that's been one of the one of the many things uh, I was wrong about coming into the season.
0: All right, last thing before we let you get out of here. If it's not San Francisco, who do you think is most likely to win the Super Bowl this year?
1: Mm, not San Francisco. All right, the the, the chalk take would probably be uh, don't, you know, don't count out, out the Chiefs, right? That, that would probably you can't. be, yeah. um, yeah, I'm not going to say, is it the, maybe it's the Ravens year. I don't know. I mean, it's a weird year and it's like, if they don't do it this year, when are they going to do it? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's just like, they're, I think they've got the best defense in the NFL. Lamar is healthy and playing well. You know, the kicking game is going to be good. Uh, the coaching is going to be pretty good and they should have the one seed if they don't, you know, if they don't stumble here down the stretch in the AFC. So, um I think that that would be my Super Bowl right now, Ravens Niners if I had yep. to pick it with the Niners winning it. Um but if you tell me the Niners aren't going to yeah. win it, I think the Ravens would probably be my pick.
0: I I lean that way too. I I, I think that there's a a the tier 1 is the 49ers and then tier 2 has God, it's so tough because I think if you just look at the actual football that's been played, I think the tier two is three teams. And I would put them in order. I would go Ravens, Eagles, Cowboys. But betting against January Mahomes and January Andy Reid just doesn't, like, it doesn't feel like the Chiefs aren't one of the four or five, you know, most likely teams to to win this Super Bowl. I would love, like, me personally and just what I value when I'm watching football, which is creativity and innovation and just like juice. I would love to see the Dolphins make a run. I think I think seeing that offense against the 49ers offense in the Super Bowl would be really, really cool. Uh, they're just we saw it, we saw it last night. They're just for a number of reasons, they're not quite there yet. They haven't really beaten a good team yet this year, and you gotta beat two of them to get to the Super Bowl at the very least. They'll probably have to beat three of them. So I'm with you. I think it's the Ravens.
1: Yeah, and Dolphins have a pretty tough schedule, I think, here down the stretch. I think they still play the Ravens. Um, I think they still play the Bills. Yep, uh, they do. This year. If you wanted my wild, like, hey, we need something for social media, I would be <laughs> like, hey, uh, listen, I'd be like,
0: don't sleep on the bills. I know we don't. Okay. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. (laughs) I think the bills are actually one of like the five best teams in the NFL this year.
1: Crazier things have happened. I mean, they sneak in uh, with Josh Allen just being like, "I got nothing to lose. Just be here, hop on my back, and I'm going to make every play here." Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to face them if I was like a, a a two seed or something, and all of a sudden Josh Allen's
0: worst nightmare. Players, like
1: that would suck. Yeah.
0: Worst nightmare <laughs> is that you draw the Bills in the first round of the playoffs as as uh, as a whole, as a whole team, and a higher seed, that would be that would be a tough draw. I mean, I don't want to bet against Sean McDermott's motivational speeches right now.
1: <laughs> he can, listen, who knows what'll break out? Yeah, he can get those guys. <laughs> he can get those guys to do anything. Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. I would agree with you.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. All right, brother. Hey, thanks again for coming in. We appreciate you so much, Shio. I'm always excited at the opportunity to talk ball with you
1: always good to be here thanks for having me guys it was fun
0: our pleasure finally before we get out of here where can those listening find more of you
1: yeah I, we do the uh, on the ringer NFL feed uh, the show is called extra point take and me be and Ben Solak, every Monday night after Monday night football and then we do a Friday show uh looking to the week ahead so we have a lot of fun uh, with that and then uh, we do the ringers Philly special just in case there's any Philly people uh, listening you can check that out uh, on the Ringer as well
0: all right, y'all. That's going to do it for today. As always, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can catch full video episodes on our YouTube channel at Cigar Thoughts. And find the rest of our socials at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Of course. You can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the deets. When you buy those cigars, reach out like many of you have and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of this show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends.